0: I'm your host Greg Young and today uh, first off we have a we have a new intro which is always exciting although uh, I, ha- I have Samantha Powell on who has not heard the new intro yet so uh, I guess she'll she'll have to tune in but uh, uh I I teased it uh a little bit already but uh I am excited to be joined by Washington Post beat writer Samantha Powell so Samantha how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing good what about you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We were just kind of talking off mic that uh, I am currently planning a move to the Netherlands soon. <laughs> so that's uh, been a has been a little bit of an adventure, but uh, I uh, can't wait to really kind of dive into that. So uh, all right, uh, I guess to kind of start, I I one thing that it seems like a lot of fans always want me to ask, and so I will ask it like a beautiful <laughs> podcast host is. Uh, kinda of just like a little behind the scenes of like what it's been like to cover the team this year. And I'm curious because we talked before the caps went into the bubble about just the process of how to like, you know, you had to basically quarantine for a while, and you had to do all this stuff. So I, I guess I'm kind of curious, like kind of compare and contrast how it's been covering the team right now in with all the COVID protocols still in place, but you're in a new city, you know, almost every day. So kind of what what is that what has that contrast been like compared to the
1: yeah. It's kind of crazy because like you're right in the bubble. It was like, okay, I have to stay in my hotel room for two weeks. Um, I can't do anything. And then it's like, oh, free rain. I can go to the arena and, you know, cover all of the games and stuff like that. And now this season, it's so weird because all these states have very different protocols, right? And all the cities have different protocols in the states. Um, so it's really different, but, you know, with us being media, I'm allowed to travel. Um, I'm allowed to, you know, go across state lines and Um, Do things that other people maybe can't do, but it's still like we're following the same precautions, um, you know, as all the players and everyone else. So I'm still able to like, for example, like go out to dinner tonight and eat outside on a patio versus, um, you know, someone else with the team can't even leave their hotel room um, to like grab a coffee. So we're living in two very separate worlds, but we're still kind of doing the same things, which is very odd um but yeah it's been really interesting I mean I still can't talk to players in person I mean the closest I can get to guys is like today I was at the Boston practice facility and like Dimitri Orlov saw me and gave me like a head nod from like a couple rows up from the ice and that's like pretty much as close as we're ever going to get to a conversation in person um so
0: it's just it's it's,
1: it's a very different world um but I'm still very lucky to do what I do it's just a lot different you have to take a lot of precautions and definitely getting a lot of
0: a lot of tests. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I would imagine you're probably sick of the uh, PCR test. I would imagine. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I, you know, we're, we're a couple of minutes in and I haven't asked about the Washington Capitol, so I should probably no, do I that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm a Washington Capitals podcast and Washington Post and beat writer on, so I guess I should do that. So I guess I'm going to kind of start broad. Where where are we at on the Caps right now? It it seems like they're definitely playing better. Uh, They've had a full roster now for a while, but I'm kind of curious. Do you think this is a rounding into form or do you think it's a, we just played the Devils twice. We've been playing (laughs) the Rangers. We've been playing a beat up Pittsburgh team. Kind of where are you at on
1: that? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. I think in the Capitals, they were four, one, and one in their last six. Um, I think I tweeted that out a couple games ago and some people were like, are you sure? They're like, are are you positive? Like, is this actually the right thing? Like, we're not questioning you, but like, are we sure? And that's how I honestly I felt two games ago. Um, I didn't think the Capitals were actually floor one and one in their last six. I felt like they were so up and down with their game. Um, honestly, that I didn't see them really stringing any wings together. And now the Capitals are on a three game win streak ahead of you know, their two games against Boston. And I feel like the team is actually getting itself together as much as I'm like very hesitant to say that,
0: yeah,
1: um, but I feel like, you know, especially on the blue line, I think things are working. Um, I've been super impressed with, you know, a Justin Schultz, um, and Nick Jensen has really stood out to me lately. Um, Chara with Jensen. I think, you know, Brendan Dillon and what he brings to this blue line, is really good. So I think everything's starting to round itself out. I mean, Alex Ovechkin finally scores a goal. Um, Nicholas Backstrom, for some reason that he doesn't know of, is a scoring machine now. So I feel like (laughs) everything's starting to get together. I think, you know, if Kuznetsov does come back this week and play, then they really are at a full roster for the first time since, you know, the four Russians went on the COVID list now that Samsonov's back. So I think this is really like kind of a do or die kind of show up or not moment for the Capitals. So yeah, I'm really curious to see
0: what this week is going to bring. Yeah, I guess. So one of the things we talk about rounding into form and I'm kind of curious, and, and uh, you know this is obviously a little bit of a samsona question but like the caps have had to deal this with this four times now and it's kind of this idea of how they have been easing players back into the lineup and we talk about obviously with orlov that took quite a bit of time you know they were putting him he sat for a couple of games you know then they started him on third line and now he's playing among the most minutes on the team so i guess kind of how do you see that process for Samsonov working? Like, how do you think Laviolette's going to ease him in and kind of, I guess, like, kind of compare and contrast that to what we've seen with the other caps that were on the COVID list?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Laviolette had a really good comparison the other day when Samsonov hadn't come back yet and he went down to her, she'd have played his fourth rehab game. And he said something, he compared a goaltender to, like, a pitcher or a quarterback in different sports. These guys are so important to your team that, You can't really rush them back, right? You can't really rush a pitcher back um, or else his arm is, you know, not going to function a quarterback, the same thing. So I think with a goaltender, I think they were just very, very cautious with him. They knew that he had an injury, had it, you know, before the season that he had to rehab, he comes in, he only gets two starts and he goes on the COVID list. He gets COVID. He's symptomatic while he's in COVID or has COVID. um, You know, he had trouble breathing. He had trouble walking. So All these things, I think the team ultimately did do the right thing and being super cautious with him and wanting him to start in the AHL. But now I think once they threw him in an NHL game, I mean, I think they have to put trust in him, right? Like you already threw him in once, you just kind of have to ride it out. I think Vanacek is still the number one at this point, in my opinion. Um, And Samson's going to have to work to kind of get that back. But I can definitely see a tandem moving forward. If you were to ask me the goalie split right now, um, I have no clue. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: I would uh, imagine probably Laviolette doesn't totally know. This yeah, I, I
1: don't even know if he knows. So I would say cautious about you know Samsonov and how much he's going to play. But just based on what we've seen from Banachek so far and the trust that the coaching staff has put in him, I mean, I think he's still going to get the majority of starts unless Samsonov, you know, kind of steps off and proves it otherwise.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So speaking of Peter Laviolette. One of the things that I, this is a question JP had, and it's I think it's kind of an interesting idea. And he he he's curious. Um, how close do do you think that this team is playing to the way Laviolette wants them to play? Like, where are the Caps with Laviolette? You know, and, and what he would wants to do, and where do you think they kind of are still working to figure out what what he really wants to bring?
1: Yeah, I think they're getting there. You know, I think Garnett Hathaway said the other night something about how he felt like they were, it was something about like anticipating more um, and kind of thinking less just in level system. It seemed like guys finally have started to understand that they've just been able to react rather than having to think on the ice. And um, anytime, you know, you have to think on the ice, it's probably bad because you're a little slow in your reactionary steps. So I think right now they're finally kind of putting it all together. I mean, for 20 games into the season, that's a little over the third of a way of a 56 game season i can't do math but i'm pretty sure that's right (laughs) i
0: think think you're basically (laughs) (laughs) basically
1: um so yeah like i I really do think they are playing a laviolette system i mean we've said it a couple of times now that laviolette wants his guys to play fast to play smart um when i was talking to laviolette's former players they said that it is just always liked playing under a system because they were always up and down the ice so fast. You know, he gave players some offensive creativity that they loved. And I think especially with this group, with, you know, in Ovechkin, a Backstrom, um, Oshie Wilson, they like that and they kind of thrive off of that. So I think what we're seeing now is maybe more confidence in that group from what Laviolette wants them to do. And now that they see results on the ice, I think that probably pushes them forward a bit.
0: There you go. That makes sense. Uh, one of the other things that's been interesting with La Violette has been, it seems like every other game, uh, maybe less so in the last couple, but a, a lot of games, he's really thrown the line combination kind of in a blender, particularly in the top. Yeah. <laughs> forward. Uh, and So I guess we talk about that uh, we all, everyone seemed to really like the Ponick, Eller, and Sheary line. And when they were playing in against Boston, or not Boston, against Buffalo and Pittsburgh, they were completely dominant. And they didn't last, but it, it doesn't at least seem to me like that was any shame on the way the line's playing. It was more that Laviolette wanted to kind of bring their different skill sets in. So do you kind of see that line getting back together? Or do you think that they're a little more valuable kind of plugging different parts of the lineup? Yeah, you
1: know, I think initially, my initial thought would be, yeah, I would want to see them back together. But right now, with the third line being Panik, Aller and Oshie. I, I kind of don't hate it. And I know people think, oh, TJ is on the third line. Like, what is he doing? He should be in the top six. But just the way things are shaking out right now, I think it makes sense. I mean, the top line is Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Connor Sherry. Does Sherry really need to be on the top line right <laughs> wing? I don't know. But was, has it been working? Ar- arguably, yes, right? Um, Sherry's, you know, produced a lot in the offensive zone. He's made a lot of chances. Is he the best guy to play with an Alex Ovechkin and a Kuznetsov? That's up for debate. (laughs) Um, But for right now, the way that they're playing, I think it makes sense. So I think once those kind of shift back, maybe Sherry does go back down um, to the second or third line, then we see some more changes. But I think, honestly, Laviolette likes to kind of not play even ice time with his, you know, three, at least three of the four forward lines, but pretty close. I mean, he basically created like three second lines when you really think about it. And then you have the dad line. Yeah. Um, so it's been really interesting to see like who he uses and what situation and why. And I, I think that's probably going to keep on changing as, you know, more injuries pop up or COVID
0: stuff pops up. Yeah, well, one of, one of the players that it seems like it's kind of been, at least I've noticed that his play five on five seems like it's fine, but he's maybe not getting the ice time is uh, Jacob Rana, And that's one thing yeah. that, I know like he may, might have gotten benched a couple of games ago. It's still kind of unclear exactly what happened. But I guess I'm kind of curious, where where are you at on Verona's ice time? And uh, kind of what what do you think is the kind of cause of him getting maybe lower than some of the other top nine goals?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because I I was watching Verona's ice time a couple games ago. And then I believe it was maybe those three games ago, but two games ago. It seemed like Verona was benched, right? I think that's what you're thinking of. It was no, like in the second like, yeah. period, he only had one shift in the last like 14 minutes in the second. Then he goes out, scores a goal. Um, but Laviolette kind of explained that away, way of saying that he saw TJ not having enough five on five time. So he actually benched Verona or he gave TJ more time, basically benching Verona in the process. Oh,
0: okay. um,
1: so that was like to even out TJ's time. So I'm not sure now what to think about Verana's ice time if they wanted Oshie to get more over Verana, but they just needed some guy to come out of the lineup in that sense. And maybe in that moment, LaViolette felt like Verana wasn't producing enough, or maybe he wasn't hustling on defense or something like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, I think it has been really interesting to see what LaViolette's done with him. I mean, he put him down on the fourth line very early in the season to kind of kickstart him. And then I think he had an assist that game when he bumped him back up to the second line. Yep. Um, so Verona, it feels like Verona's been like on a mini journey in these like 21 yes. games, and we're just we're like still waiting to see what the consistent level of Jacob Verona is. But I mean, two goals in the last two games—you've got to think that he's trending upwards. Um, so it'll be really interesting. I think I don't want to say like okay, we're going to restart the season from right now, but I think this is a pretty big like restart point for this Caps team if they are fully healthy. Wednesday against Boston
0: yeah and one of the players that's going to make them uh completely healthy assuming he's able to go on Wednesday is Evgeny Kuznetsov and I'm curious kind of what you've seen from Kuznetsov because like we ran the numbers at Japer's rank a few days ago and his defensive numbers are surprisingly much better than <laughs> he would have thought they would be uh particularly given that he was maybe one of the worst defensive forwards in all of hockey the last few years so I guess I, obviously Kuznetsov's been on the COVID list and he's kind of been, had a little bit of a tumultuous year, but do you think that maybe he's starting to figure out the La wants? once? Do you think, kind of, I'm curious how you think Laviolette's really impacting his game and have you kind of noticed a little bit different of Kuznetsov this year?
1: Yeah, I think that's a super good question. You know, I think with Kuznetsov, he is so up and down. He's very, he's an emotional player, right? I think everyone can tell that, you know, you can tell if guys kind of play well. Um, based off of their emotions and their body language and you know I think since he's got back from the COVID list obviously he has had kind of a rough start you could argue um, yeah. but I think he has figured out the level system I know I was looking at the numbers that Japers put out and I was pretty shocked um, to see some <laughs> of those stats tilting in his direction I think just eye test wise I mean you don't really notice them on the ice that's usually my go-to right it's if I don't really notice the guy then he's not really producing or if I notice the guy for the wrong reasons, it's obviously. Yeah. <laughs> bad. Um, so for, I feel like for Kuznetsov, I just haven't noticed him. Um, so I think overall for a playmaker like him, you know, the last two years for what the potential he should do, he's not. Um, so I think, sure. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what actually happens with him as we go further into the season. But I think he knows what LaViolette wants from him and vice versa. It's just, applying that on the ice and maybe just finding that consistency, um, you know, with an Ovechkin on that top line. I, I think they work well together. I'd be interested to see if Laviolette thinks so too, um, if
0: they're both fully healthy and see if they actually stick with the line combination with them on the top. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask a OB question that is not an OB contract question that <laughs> I, uh, and then we're, we're going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, I'll, uh, yeah, I got a couple more questions for Samantha here, but, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I know we have talked about in the past in the, on a past paper think radio episode about I, what I kind of have called the Ovechkin puzzle in terms of trying mm-hmm. to figure out the right center to play with him. And I, lately, it seems like Laviolette's kind of thinking about that too. In a lot of ways, <laughs> obviously, he's played Ovechkin with Eller, which is not a combination we're super used to yeah. him over here. <laughs> so, I guess, kind of, what, what do you think that the different centers bring, and kind of where do you see Ovechkin's natural home? Here?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's so hard because how could you not say like Ovechkin and Backstrom, yeah. right? Just with everything that they've been together with and all that. But I I think Ovechkin and Kuznetsov work well together just because Ovechkin can read Kuznetsov and vice versa. Um, I feel like with Kuznetsov's kind of skill and just the way he skates, I think opens up a lot for Ovechkin. Um, but then it also, I think it depends on the right wing. Like I really like Tom Wilson on obi's right wing i think that makes a bunch of sense i think it opens up the ice more um but lars has also been super interesting i think ovechkin answered a question the other night of you know yeah it took some time for you know me and lars to figure each other out basically um and then we connect for a goal so lars i think is just a very smart player he's a utility player he, everyone knows what he's going to do when he's on that third line as your yes. third line center. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, he can play top minutes with Ovechkin sure. Like he can, I bet he could do that every single night. Is he the best with Alex? I'm not a hundred percent convinced okay. and I'm not sure Laviolette's a hundred percent convinced either. Cause I think he would have left Eller on the top, even if there was a slight chance that Kuznetsov wouldn't play tomorrow, but Kuznetsov was back on the top line at lines today. Um, so that's that's what I'm leaning to, but I mean it's hard to argue against any three of them, right? They've played with Alex for so long. I'm sure any of them could just fill in and do a good job.
0: Yeah, well, Lars Eller, famously one of the more kind of candid Capitals, I think would would be first to admit, and, uh, you know, he probably didn't expect to be playing a ton with Ovechkin this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, um, all right, with that, we're gonna take a quick break. On the other side, I am gonna ask uh, Samantha Pell about Obi's contract situation, the never ending scoring Nicholas Backstrom and uh, her thoughts on uh, the return of hockey fans uh, to building. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Jay Radio. I'm still here with uh, Samantha Pell. And Samantha, we got a question and I'm kind of curious. Have you heard anything about Ovechkin's contract situation and kind of what do you think is going on
1: yeah Yeah, you know I haven't heard lately about his contract situation I think we're supposed to have an update probably in the next couple weeks um but with him I don't think there's any reason to panic um you know he's made it very clear in the past we kind of talked about it before the season of just you know he wants to stay in Washington management feels the exact same way I think timing wise I mean I've seen some crazy things where I think the Capitals could maybe leave him like they could not sign him um just so they could like Basically, leave him unexposed for the expansion draft, um, huh. and technically, they don't have to protect him in the expansion draft if he does go to free agency. Huh. So, like, there's a little loophole
0: there that I believe huh. they used on Oshi. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, like, just if, seems maybe, weird
0: with like your best franchise player. Yeah. You know, you know like it's a little risky. But, like, <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> so, I I've seen that. Been, like, I've seen that
0: thrown around.
1: Of okay, like maybe Alex does go to free agency. Everyone panics. Um, but he does go to free agencies, so the Capitals have an extra forward space to kind of protect um, in that expansion draft. And you go ahead and sign him after. I think that's that's a long-shot idea. I'm not sure if the Caps want to do that. I'm sure they want to sign Ovechkin as quickly as possible. Um, but I know, yeah, that both sides are pretty comfortable ahead of the season, basically playing without a contract. Um, and 20 games in, nothing's changed.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask next about uh, Ovechkin's kind of famous longtime partner. uh, Normally, the guy passing him the puck, but this Mm -hmm. time he's shooting the puck more. Uh, You said before that uh, even Nicholas Backstrom doesn't know why he's scoring this many goals this year. But, uh, you know, they pay you the big bucks. So uh, why do you think Nicholas Backstrom (laughs) is scoring more this year?
1: Yeah, it's, I think initially it was definitely Nick going to the net more. That sounds so cliche and what every hockey coach is going to say is, you know, if you want to score, go to the bank. But I think with Nick, he was doing that. And then in the last game, you know, you saw him taking point shots on the power play, him hitting a post. Um, You saw the two on one rush just made a really great play. So I think overall, maybe he's just had more of a mentality to score with so many guys out. Um, I think that's a very logical explanation of you're missing Kuznetsov and Ovechkin for at least four games for Ovechkin, Kuznetsov for eight. You kind of need someone else to step up and score. And that's been him and Tom Wilson. Um, I think Tom's quietly, I think outside of Washington had a very, very good year. Um, And maybe people really haven't noticed that yet, but I definitely think Tom and Um, Nick are kind of carrying the group right now, and maybe Ovechkin starts to kind of get things together and get a goal streak going. But as of right now, yeah, Backstrom's been great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's been been interesting to see. Uh, Another thing that's interesting to see, this is a much worse transition, but it's fine, um, (laughs) is uh, so Zdeno Chara is uh, going back to Boston uh, for the uh, first time, I guess, since he's become a capital. So I... Has Tara talked at all about what that's going to be like? Obviously it's gonna be a little different because there's no fans in the building, but uh, I, I'm kind of curious like what, is, what what is what is he what are kind of his thoughts about getting to go back kind of home a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know we talked to him um, this morning actually, and you know I think the the most emotion he showed was seeing his family. Um, obviously he hasn't seen his family in almost nine weeks oh, wow. um, because when he signed his contract in Washington that was late December. Um, so, you know, him and his family decided that it'd be best for them to stay in Boston. The kids could stay in school. You don't have to relocate for, you know, a shortened NHL season. His contract's only a year. So they've been talking over FaceTime every day, you know, technology, um, but they haven't gone to see yeah. each other in nine weeks. Um, so the Caps had an off day here in Boston on Monday and Charles said he got to see his family. He said, I think his quote was like, I got to be a dad for one day again or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I think that for him <laughs> probably was the emotional trigger. Um, there's still no fans at the TD Garden this week, so you know they'll have a tribute video and something on the jumbotron, but you know no fans, no ovation, um, you know no typical homecoming, you know sure. antics. Um, so I think it'll be a little bit different for him. But I think he said, you know, look, like TD Garden's always going to be a special place. Boston's always going to be a special pit like place. But once the puck drops, like. I'm going to be focused. It's me. He's very um, close to the chest. I would say um, with yep. his emotions, he's <laughs> on a big, so, yep. yeah, you know, like he's not <laughs> going to be super, super emotional with everything. Um, but I think he's just excited to be back mainly because of his family. And then obviously probably will think a little bit about
0: it um, once they get to the ring tomorrow. Man, uh, not, not, not being able to kind of see friends and family. I would imagine it's, it's home to a lot of us, but uh, I would imagine, especially Chara. One of the things that I know we had kind of, we've kind of hit around this a little bit, but you just tweeted uh, something I think kind of interesting, which is uh, you're going to, the Washington Capitals are going to see fans in a, you know, in in a building for the first time in a while. So I guess you've started as the Washington Post beat writer with fans kind of in the building and regularly kind of, you know, interacting and doing all that kind of stuff. And really, since obviously the bubble, there's been no fans. So I guess I'm kind of curious, like, reflect on that a little bit. Like, how has that been different just as a, not just even as a beat writer, but also just as a fan being in these kind of buildings that are empty? And what is it, what do you think it's going to be like maybe for the players and also just kind of, I don't know, like watching wise to have, to have fans back when the uh, Caps play the Flyers on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I think for fans wise, I mean, I think it's probably going to give the players a really big boost. I, that might be a little cliche or maybe overstated, but I really do think that a lot of players feed off emotions. Um, I think immediately of a guy like a TJ Oshie or a Tom Wilson um, or a Ovechkin. I think they really feed off crowd noise and, you know, just the ebbs and flows of the game. And you can kind of sense a fight coming or you can sense a big goal coming. I think it's just really needed to have fans and um, the fake crowd noise that's in the arenas or are, is nothing like. Um, actual
0: fans. <laughs> I would imagine you have firsthand experience about how weird that is.
1: Yeah, I'm so sorry to all the fake crowd noise people that made that, but, like, it's it's not close.
0: Um, so I, I it, add, can, yeah. I, can I ask a quick sub-question? <laughs> yeah. Which building had the worst fake crowd noise?
1: Oh, um, Buffalo was oddly very loud. It was, huh. it was the first <laughs> game, but I think it was because it was the first game, and they were still trying to, like, work out how loud it should be, um, <laughs> so they were sure. just very, very loud or, like, I think i think it was yeah it was just a constant hum like it, yes. there was no ebbs and flows there was no like oh my gosh like for some reason it was loud on a power play or a pk like no kind of constant there yeah um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah I, I mean going back to fans and buildings i think it's really going to help um i think being in an arena you know basically dead silent at the hundreds level is where we are at capital one arena you can hear basically everything on the ice i mean yes. you We can hear Tom Wilson screaming at Malkin. We can hear Malkin screaming at Tom. We can hear them talking to the referees. We can hear Ovechkin. Like you can hear everything that's happening. So for me, um, selfishly, I like it Um, (laughs) because I'm closer. I can see guys. I can hear guys. Um, But I think once fans are back, it's just going to bring a completely different atmosphere. So um, I think overall, it's just good for the sport to get fans back in arenas. Um, But I mean, also we have to talk about health and safety and COVID and should we even be doing this in the first place? Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> there's, I mean, should we even be playing hockey? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered, but it, I think it's going to depend on each arena. It's going to depend on everybody kind of checking themselves um, and, you know, being aware of, should I even go to this game? Um, it's going to depend on what are the limits. I think in Philly, it was like over 3,000 fans. Ooh, um, like a lot. Which seems like a lot. Yeah. Um <laughs> But you know that in New Jersey, it was only like a 1000 fans are being allowed. So everyone's different, you know, back to just me traveling, like everywhere is different. All the rules are different. Yeah, um, all your questionnaires are different. So I'm, I'm a little wary, I think about it all. But if everyone's safe, and we can kind of do contact tracing, and you can tell if there is a spread. Um, I guess this is the safest route that we have to go.
0: Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Well, uh, I obviously have a lot of thoughts on, on the, the players coming or the fans coming back, but I will save it because, uh, I think people know, people know what those thoughts are. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, uh, Samantha, this has been great as always. Uh, I think we said this is your fourth time on, so uh, we're going to have to make it, uh, even five soon. Um, where I know that you have a, you have a new article that's going to drop, I think, soon. Uh, I don't know what soon is really, but kind of tease it a little bit. Where can, uh, where can people find you in your writing?
1: Yeah, for sure. So people can find me on Twitter at Samantha J. Pell. All my stuff is on WashingtonPost.com. Um, yeah, I'm working on a story about T.J. Oshie. So hopefully that'll come out this weekend. But I think, yeah, his goal last week against Pittsburgh, I think maybe went a little bit underrated um maybe kind of overlooked a little bit um so yeah just kind of sparked an idea there with tj and yeah hopefully that comes out uh later this week
0: there you go all right well i'm sure we're all looking forward to that and uh if you uh like the show please rate rate, subscribe review do all of those great things uh we are uh making some changes around the show it's actually been really exciting so uh definitely give give us a give us a five-star review if you get the chance and uh we're also on all major podcast platforms uh You can find my uh, work at Japer's Rink and uh, you can find uh, my Twitter at at Y underscore JR. And you can find the show at at Japer's Rink Radio. So uh, Samantha Powell, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, thank you.